Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. From the depths of depression dragged to a microphone. We'll be talking around four of the Pro 14 but first the news. Yeah and a couple of interesting stories this week. So the whole story about concussions and cards and different penalty offences rages on. And even looking at the games, there was a couple of cards that even commentators are saying, oh, this wouldn't have been a card two years ago, four years ago. But that's why everyone had melty brains four years ago. It's a simple fact that everyone just has to get used to that you touch someone's head, it's a red card. This is it. And reading during the week, there were specific guidelines given. If forearm or elbow makes contact with the head, it's a red card. And pretty much everything is being ref that way and has been for the most part for a season or two. This is just now a coaching point. And some coaches have kind of learned their lesson after being incredibly idiotic last week. Yeah, Jordan Murphy's had to climb down pretty hard. <laughs> Which is weird, because that flies in the face of, you know, Bastro getting five weeks for assaulting a fellow on the ground, and... Yeah, that that Bastro decision is one of the worst pieces of adjudicating I've ever seen, and the French Rugby Union has been called for this stuff before, so I just think that's pretty scandalous. Five weeks. What's in seven weeks' time? Hmm. Into... Uh... Uh... Speaking of some of our internationals, really good week this week for a certain Razzy Erasmus who won't have to fire himself. Um, <laughs> if you haven't heard the Blood and Mud pod from a couple of weeks ago, get listening to it. There's a really brilliant impression. Um, he's also been named the Babas coach for the upcoming series. Yeah, for the Argentina game in December, which should be really fun. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see a kind of a less controlled, disciplined Razzy trying to manage a team of superstars. Speaking of superstars, oh, Cipriani, what does he have to do to get into that England squad? He's been playing the form of his life. He's almost single-handedly propelling Gloucester up the table, but apparently not good enough for Eddie Jones's team. Just don't get arrested in Jersey, I think, is the um, the rule there. Basically, yeah. Or maybe he's thinking further down the line with the news story this week about no tattoos at Rugby World Cup Japan. Yeah. Too, too much hassle to get him to cover it up. <laughs> Uh, but that's more of a in the general area of Japan, not while they're playing. Yeah, it's some really interesting backstory to it. it. Basically, in Japan, tattoos are associated with the Yakuza. So the Irish boys all had this when they were on tour over there over the summer. So it's going to be manageable. Just an interesting piece of cultural influence that we have to deal with. And that brings us neatly into our first match of the week. Cheetahs v Ulster. Yeah, and a bizarre result. 39-39 in a game with more twists and turns than an M. Night Shyamalan movie. <laughs> For me, it felt like a super rugby match. You know, loose, fast, the ball was going everywhere, and no one could defend worth a damn. Jared Payne has some questions to answer. Like, I, I get that he's new in role, but get your head out, man. This is time to start coaching Ulster that tackling is an important part of the game. Just even structures. Everyone was really disjointed. And you'll expect that missing Cooney, who's such a leader for them. I mean, Shanahan had a, a decent enough game, but big shoes to step into. And with Cooney missing, no one in the pack stepped up either. Like, I know they brought a skeleton crew to South Africa and there was a lot of young lads there, but you're kind of hoping someone in that back row would step up as in a leadership role. Well, this was the stronger of the two teams that they picked, but it looked equally rudderless and experienced players weren't stepping up. The handling, like, to be fair, the handling from both teams was pretty dreadful. Um, Ulster, I think, given that they rescued this with the last play of the game, probably the happier of the two sides like three points out of this game is not bad no and seven points across the full tour of south africa if you'd said that to ulster fans i'd say last week or two weeks ago they would have grabbed it yeah for sure and the cheetahs must be absolutely gutted they did so close to doing enough to win this but then ulster are doing a new ulster and just grabbing points at the end of games just this is the third week that they have been beaten and then come back from the death and that's strength of character like Dan McFarland is beating something into these players and 
not being beaten must be it. Yeah, I mean, maybe if he could beat some tackling into them for next week. <laughs> um, I thought Tomatou looked really good. Really good around the park. The lines he was running. How much depth do we have at Tighthead now? And the thing is, I said this before in our previews. I think he's be ahead of Marty Moore for Ulster. Well, it'll be really interesting to watch that. I haven't seen much of Moore yet, so let's let's watch that one. Stewart wasn't bad when he came on. What I really liked about him, like, yeah, he had flaws, but when he was given the ball... Every player had to run onto it. I think that really helped Ulster come back into the game. For the Cheetahs, I think you really have to give credit to their back three. Maxwane, Smallsmith and Yar were just outstanding. Anytime they took the ball on, they made yards. They play heads up rugby and it's just real joy to see. Yeah, they kind of look at a field and they, they, they go after where there is space instead of what some players do, which is just trying to run the ball back into contact. They're always looking for gaps and more often than not, they find them. When they've got the pace like that, they create them as well. And the South African commentators are just great value. Oh, so some of the jokes they're coming through was, were just brilliant. As long as Air, because we watched you Air, Air have, take the South African feed, not the Premier Sports feed. So we just have a bit of a laugh. may it continue. Exactly. I guess in terms of gap, Ulster's forwards, so tackling, as we said, for both sides was pretty shocking. Um, Ulster's line-out wasn't great, uh, nor was their mall defence. No, and you know, with Dan McFarland as a forwards coach, that will need to shore up fast. And I think from the Cheetahs' perspective, they really were just victims of their own stupidity. Just if they held onto the ball and didn't play, not even 50-50 chances, but like 75-25 against chances, these guys should be winning way more games. Yeah, they really should. And a lot of that is down to naivety. Sometimes you don't have to offload the ball. You can actually just take the ball down, create a new rook, have a new, another phase. Yeah. It's as if Cheetahs try to score off, every time they every have the time ball. they have the ball off the first phase. And you know, if they just played a bit more rugby, yeah, for one of a better term, they'd be in a much better place. Well, naivety is a good expression as well because both sides were guilty of that in defence. Like neither of these teams put pressure on the rook to slow it down. Neither of them defended well in tight, and even simple stuff like both teams were kicking ahead and there was never a sweeper in the backfield like this is just basic stuff and on pitch intelligence would make a huge difference here which is where Cooney is so valuable and where the Cheetahs need to start building that big time definitely and you know Ulster were missing Henderson Best Murphy Addison Addison as well you know Mm. that's four yeah you know look at those names they'll bring so much to the Ulster when they come back in and big game next week for them so their opponents had had a pretty torrid time on Friday night. So Cardiff v Munster was the second game on Friday, and Cardiff won 37-13. to This was abysmal. Like, that's two away games for Munster now, and two away losses. And not narrow losses, like two thumpings. Yeah. And fair enough, uh, not fair enough, I guess, nobody likes losing to Glasgow because they're terrible, but getting hammered by Cardiff is a disgrace. Even for me, like, a Connacht fan watching it, that performance just wasn't good enough. You know, defensively, Munster were at sea. They were missing first-up tackles that you just expect them to get. We looked slow, we looked lazy, we didn't look interested. And when you're being beaten off the park by, like, what is basically a Snorlax from Pokemon in Nick Williams, you know that your world-class back row hasn't bothered to turn up. Like, it was an embarrassment. The mon- uh, the monster team just weren't 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 at the races. You know, Halaholo ran riot through the defence. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, and with the same right foot step every time. It's like just just hit just hit him, hit him, and let somebody else worry about all the rest of their players. But just ah, oh, 
It, it was unwatchable. It was genuinely, I was losing my mind watching this game on Friday night. And the problem is, it's first phase play. It's not as if they were creating space and people were getting stuck for numbers. This was first phase play. This should be one-up tackles. Well, what it looked like, and I mean, particularly when we talk about what Munster actually did well in terms of looking really clinical on counter-attack, and Andrew Conway looked excellent. But it's like we've forgotten how to play the basics of the game, or we're just not practicing it in training. It was, it was genuinely... A, like you kind of want to draw a line under this and move on, but they're going to have to start putting some performances together because so far they've beaten a nothing Cheetahs team and a nothing Ospreys team. As far as I'm concerned, Munster are nil for four this season. I know they have some match points that they've chalked up, but they need to get out and actually behave like proper performing players. Yeah, I was watching and especially when they were behind, I couldn't figure out what Munster were trying to do. There, they, there seemed to be no discernible game plan. No, and I think part of that to be to be honest, is down to Joey Carberry, who doesn't have that degree of game management experience outside of scrum halves, who don't have that level of capability. Um, But we need to start getting our head out of our ass extremely soon. But at the end of the day, Cardiff just look comfortable, not impressive. Yeah, and they have a couple. Like, again, and it doesn't seem to matter whether it's Jared Evans or Gareth Anscombe playing a 10. That 10 through 13 is just so creative and so good at generating line breaks and opportunities. Um, I thought Nick Williams was immense, not in the usual sense that I described Nick Williams as immense. <laughs> he actually played a full 80 minutes yeah. and played the full 80 minutes. He didn't have like one of his 10 minute breaks when he's just a passenger. No, he didn't. And the thing is, there was a lot of hassle around, oh, he's being led away with murder by the referee. Yeah. Well, then your job is to also be led away with it or just to ping him. You can't let yourself be bullied like we did. And not with effectively half an international pack well that was that was our Champions Cup back five Jean Klein Ty Byrne Peter O'Mahony Chris Clutie and CJ Stander is the starting four through eight and they were beaten off the park at least Munster looked good on the counter-attack like you said yeah and there's a kind of some of our tries that we've been scoring have been nice and our our backs are, are generating some good ball but I tell you if we don't sort out our defensive structures and our line out our line out was a disgrace so the sooner we get the likes of Reese Marshall and particularly Niall Scannell back in that team, because Niall Scannell makes a huge difference to us scrummaging as well, it can't come soon enough. And your scrum was really poor. But like that to me is a mixture of Cardiff just being smart and just driving slightly off centre. Mm. Doesn't look illegal, but it is just enough it's to... It's destabilising. It's destabilising. But kill coin should really be driving straight past and not allowing himself to be folded in by that. But and as with Cronin, our, our pack just weren't playing smart enough because we weren't able to compete with them. Um, and I think you mentioned it earlier, but needing a bit more leadership on pitch, and a lot of that comes through Murray. In the absence of that, um, I'd like to see Abby Matheson on a pitch sooner rather than later. Don't know that there's a lot more Munster we're going to learn from this, but hopefully we will see an improvement in performance next weekend and coming into the derbies. Do you know who we did see an improvement in performance in, though? Oh, my God. I, I, I was watching. So I was watching this game and texting Porrick because he was on the road to Galway. And he rang me when it was 21-0 to the Kings because he thought I was making it up. I got into Galway to see most of the match because they were actually playing it back. And I was like, I still couldn't believe it. Every single Connacht fan. Even though you knew what was going to happen. Yeah. Every single Connacht fan had turned into a Kings fan for those 80 minutes. It was just beautiful to watch. And, like... Do you know what? Glasgow turned out with a team who they wouldn't pick against any other opposition in this comp and they got embarrassed. They they were shell-shocked. Like, they just didn't know how to react. It was phenomenal. And this is a lesson for teams going on that two-week tour to South Africa. 
yes, you've got to pick a squad that can play a stronger Cheetahs team and a weaker Kings team, but there still has to be a good enough overall balance to play two matches. The thing is, Glasgow, for the first time, weren't able to get dominance at a breakdown because they didn't have the players to do it, and the Kings were so up for this. The Kings managed to get a bit of time on the ball, and they've got some very dangerous players. We said this in our previews. Kings with ball in hand will cause problems, and they cause Glasgow so many problems. And I think on top of the problems Glasgow were causing themselves, like uh, the match conditions for this game were perfect but you'd assume that it was being played in the lashing rain in the middle of january in scottsdale the volume of drop ball was just unbelievable is it that they're used to rain but not sweaty hands (laughs) sweaty hands have a different ball dropping effect (laughs) maybe but you know what it was actually a great game for the neutral there was a ton of tries and what was really nice to see was half the springbok squad actually turned up to support the team as did razzy erasmus i heard that and someone said what did they double the the attendance (laughs) something like that well they didn't play this in one of the giant giant stadiums they played it at nelson mandela university and those games when they play them in kind of more i guess regional uh, stadia tend to get better turnouts and i have one suggestion for the king's management the people who control their ticketing Put them, because there are people there, on the side the camera faces. Ah. Or put the camera on that side so they can sit in the shade on this side. Make it one look or like the other. Yeah, just because you can hear people there when they're yeah. in the smaller stadiums. Just can we see them? Maybe they're, maybe it's just a soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> From the strengths perspective, both teams brought a degree of running game, but the Kings was just far more effective, far more incit- or incisive, rather. Really good offloading and just playing with confidence, probably off the back of that tight game against Ulster last week. From what I've seen this season, Kings, at the breakdown, are going to fight for everything. And with ball in hand, they're strong. So if they feel like they've got a sniff in a game, they're really going to go for it. And the thing is, when Glasgow did manage to hold on to the ball and do some direct running, they looked you know, they looked good, personified by Grigg, who made yards every time he touched the ball. And if you look at the last 20, when Glasgow actually played rugby, you know, territory, moving the ball right, creating phases, they made up the points and they made the yards. And competent halfbacks... Ali Price and Adam Hastings are a huge, huge trade-up from Nick Frisby and George Horn. If they hadn't given Kings that big a lead... Yeah, it's a hell of a head start to try and claw back. I guess from a where did they fall down weaknesses perspective, the Kings' discipline, still a problem. Like, three yellow cards. Yeah, and it's just really cynical, silly stuff. It's all the things that you just hate your own players doing. That should be coached out of them by now. Unforced error came for Glasgow, though, was probably even worse. There was nine internationals on that Glasgow team. You would not have been able to tell. Not at all. You couldn't have told me which ones they were either. Yeah, Tommy, Se- Tommy Seymour didn't look like the top try scorer from the Lions tour. Look, that game is over. Glasgow want to get back home as quickly as possible and forget all about it. Speaking of forgetting all about it, you sent me off on my homework this week and made me watch Dragons v Zebra, a 16-5. A cracker, yeah? Uh, God. Look, it, it lived up to the billing we gave it on preview last week. This was pretty appalling stuff. There was one good try in this game, which was actually the one that Zebre scored. So Kana with a neat little chip through and then Bellini kind of like handballed and passed the ball to himself over the top of the two uh, Dragons defenders. Clown car defending from Zebre meant that you got two tries for Dragons in the first half and that was it. It was 13-5 at halftime. The entirety of the second 40 minutes, which I will admit I did not watch, got another three points for the Dragons and a yellow card. The thing is, it's a shame that Zebra, after the highs of the last couple of weeks and the highs of the past few performances, that they drop to this level again. I mean, maybe it's something about the Dragons, that they're so bad they bring you down to their level and beat you with experience. Could be. Having said that, I think 
you'd nearly hope that it wasn't a mirage and that their structures are starting to come together. The problem was they just kept making stupid mistakes and knock-ons. Like, if, if the Dragons team that played the first half against Leinster came out, you could have called this for a bonus point win for them. Yeah, it's really weird. The way the Pro 14 is structured, you need to kind of focus on the home games and do those big performances at home because that gives you 10 wins almost. And that puts you there thereabouts for playoffs. And in fixtures like this, you need to be picking up as many points as possible. So that's try bonuses. And the thing was, Zebra looked like arguably the more dangerous team, but they just had so little ball that they weren't able to do anything with it. To be fair to Zebra, they went out with a big selection for this. Like they targeted this game, which you would because dragons. Speaking of teams who targeted a game, I wouldn't have thought this was on Connacht's target list for results this year, but nevertheless beating the Scarlets 33-20 in Galway. That wasn't a targeted game. That was the little bits of everything from this season coming together. The defence from Edinburgh and the attack from previous weeks just coming together properly. Like, it came together alright. I mean, Connacht looked good. Like Connacht looked like a team who deserved to be you know, in the top half of their conference this week. The thing is, we actually had an attack. Farrell and Bundy in the centre is just a phenomenal pairing. They always make go-forward ball, and Farrell just finds gaps where there shouldn't be any. What a difference a week makes. I mean, Aki looked disinterested and off the pace last week, but he was transformed on Saturday. He was making line breaks, he was throwing offloads, and just making enormous dump truck hits in, in defence. Reese Patchell is going to have Bundyaki nightmares for weeks. Reese Patchell is going to have a Bundyaki shape tattooed across his <laughs> ribcage for weeks. Like, the work rate was just phenomenal as well. Players were fighting for everything. Yeah, even in the last two minutes, everyone in the crowd was like, oh, we might get a tri-bonus point out of this. Yeah, it looked and, like that was very possible. And the players went up and just were bursting over rocks. We weren't trying to get the ball mm. and, like, rip it. We're going to drive through you. And you know what? Players who weren't on that kind of a form was Reese Patchell. I first came back after injury, but I was just amazed at how poor he looked. And for me, you have this thing, like there's often a thing of, oh, if your 10 plays badly, then they ruin your whole game plan. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's more like, you know, when you're watching Ian Keatley at Munster, and for me, he's more of a canary in a coal mine, in that if Munster were playing really badly, Keatley looks like an idiot. But if Munster are playing well, he looks pretty good. It's the opposite with Patchell. When Patchell's not on form, that whole team falls apart. But in comparison, Carty looked incredible. Six from six from Boot. His pass- and from corners. They weren't easy kicks. No. His passing was incredible. He was just bringing people onto the ball at all times. Bundy got man the match, but for me, I would have picked Carty. I think what's incredible about Carty is just how composed he seems to look. He isn't playing in the best team. He's not playing behind the best pack, but he seems to always be able to generate go-forward ball, and he picks the right decisions. It's been a couple of years coming, but this is the character Connors fans that have believed in him has known to come up. Like, for me personally, I know this is a big statement, but outside Johnny Sexton, he's playing the best rugby at 10 in Ireland at the moment. Yeah, Carty is looking really good at the moment. Outside Breaker for the November series, perhaps. Possibly, and he like, Joe Schmidt... Ron Nogar, like, he's worked with those coaches and they've all, like, said, you know, this guy's good. We shall see. I guess other points to note, the set piece from both teams was pretty good. Everybody was relatively secure in their own ball, line it and scrum. Yeah, like, you know, the scrum stats were 100% for Connacht, 75 for Scarlets. Yeah. And we were winning penalties off the scrum as well, I, even on Scarlets' ball. Like, Buckley and Bealham just had one one of those days. Yeah, nothing they could do was uh, was problematic. What really impressed me, I think, was the rook work, though. 
like the rucking and the tight carrying Butler not as obvious but got through a ton of work yeah. and O'Brien really picked up where Boyle had left off the last couple of weeks in terms of that heavy carry work yeah I thought uh, Delan as well did those dirty carries where he's making those half yards and always putting scars on the back foot as well just making them always shift that bit backwards well particularly when you've got a scrum half like Marmion who it seemed was intent on carrying every ball all day like but if you do have a little break at the fringe that Delan or whoever else creates there is space there for him to run into if you looked at it a few times I think Marmion's pulling those runs but he wasn't going straight at the rock he was always coming out a bit so when forwards would do it, there's space there because they weren't expecting it. Yeah, he was probably not as good in terms of the selection of where to run, but nice to see him being able to carry that ball, I guess. But like, we did have issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I think your out-wide defence was a little problematic and your scramble does need work in terms of where you reset on transition. Scarlet's players like Johnny McNichol, like Lee Halfpenny, and even Patchell himself are quick and will find space. And they did. And like they got their scores from our... Our scramble defence not being up to scratch. And again, discipline. There was a wonderful double cameo in 20 minutes where I can't actually describe this any other way. Bundy had a hissy fit and threw the ball at Gary Davies. And then literally two rucks later, Robin Copeland like giraffes over the top of it and smashes the nine as he does oh so often. It's mad to think that Paul Boyle at the age of 21 seems like a more intelligent player than someone who was being touted for Ireland Caps. I mean, Robin Copeland isn't winning any awards from Mensa for this performance, so I think we're just going to have to uh, keep watching what everybody else is doing, and if they're not doing it, you probably shouldn't either. From a Scarlet's perspective, though, their big players didn't step up. No, I, I spoke already about Patchell, but the likes of Ken Owens, who like has captained Wales, really needed to have a bigger game. Yeah, you're right, and Scarlet's will just need to improve going forward. And I think they will, and they've got a big game next week where they can get a good run out, and hopefully put a bit more of a performance together. So we'll move on to the Saturday evening matches and Ospreys v Benetton. Yeah, 27 points to 10. The Ospreys running out victorious. And for me, Benetton really let themselves down here. I know Ospreys had targeted this game, had rested players last week and Benetton missing a few frontline players, but they will have wanted better from this. Yeah, missing two very kickable penalties very early in the game. You know That would have reset their stall early on and put them at a point where Ospreys would be, not panicking, but starting to, like... Doubt themselves a bit? Yeah. Well, I think part of that was that their selection at 10. You know, Tommaso Allen, who's been their talisman so far this year, not even in the match day 23, which sends a message in a lot of ways. Yeah, it doesn't matter who else you pick around the pitch in the CRM 15, when the person who's pulling the strings isn't up to scratch, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and they went out with a rookie 9 and 10 with Duvenigi. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, and Rizzi, I'm also probably pronouncing that wrong. <laughs> Which is, you know, symptomatic of the fact that I've never heard of them before. And that's the problem. You know, like, Ospreys are a team that Treviso should... Should be beating. Should be beating and will be competing with in, like, that third, seventh spot if, you know, those... In each, in each other's conferences. Yeah, there's every chance. And, like, they missed out on it by, what, one result last year? But if Benetton have to go to Wales to play the Ospreys in a playoff for third, fourth, these points make a difference. That could have been points lost for home advantage in that game like this could be significant at the end of the year and I just I don't understand the mentality of Benetton not throwing this quite as embarrassingly as the Ospreys did last week but still I mean this should have been a game this game was very tight at halftime it was and I think that's probably because the Ospreys were just very patient they were playing high percentage rugby kicking the ball into the corners keeping Benetton going backwards and they got their tries when it was available and they kicked their points when they came up. But 
wow, did we get one superstar moment in the second half. Well, from the Osprey superstar, Tipperick had an incredible game and just summed up by what a try. Like, unbelievable line break. He's got a player on his left and you're like, surely he's going to give the... It's George North. Surely he's just going to give the simple pass. No. Chips over the top. And as North then tries to mess the whole move up, Tipper goes, I'll take that ball back, please. Plucks it down out of the sky, try under the posts. Uh, he was immense. And he was doing, like not quite that, but he was playing that type of link man game all along. Like It was his speed to the ruck to play link man that got Ospreys their third try as well. Which was a real killer blow for Benetton. Because two minutes previously, they were camped on the Ospreys line. And they turn over the ball. A couple of minutes later, that try goes over. Like That's a 14-point swing. It is. And we're having a very different conversation if it's you know, 10 minutes left to go and it's 20 points to 17. Like, those are the games Benetton have been winning for the last couple of weeks. They get fired up and they seem to finish strong, especially if they think there's something to fight for. And, you know what, it was built on the same kind of good base as they've had for the last couple of weeks. They're scrumming their line-out. In fact, both teams' scrum and line-out was really impressive, very comfortable on their own ball. But, again, we're talking about how Benetton managed a yellow card. Another 10-minute bin period... Zero points conceded. In fact, the Ospreys managed to get a player binned as well. 14 v 14, Benetton get a try. They know how to control... They should be given masterclasses in this. <laughs> they know how to control the ball so well. It's really good to see that type of intelligence in a team. Yeah, they're obviously thinking about and preparing for this in the training pitch as well. And it does show. The other thing that showed, when Ospreys pick a full strength team, they are contenders. But look at the talent across the team. You know, Sam Davies was showing glimpses of why people tout him as a Welsh international. Yeah, and then you've got the, the kind of gritty determination of uh, Justin Tipperick and Alan Wynne-Jones, who at one point swam through a mall on his own to win the penalty. To win the turnover, but yes, I know what you mean. <laughs> I guess just from a weaknesses perspective, Benetton don't have a squad depth that means they can pick this type of a team for this type of a game and expect a result. I'm, like, I'm surprised McKinley didn't start, you know, to he be perfectly honest. He looked good when he came on. And that bit of experience in games like this is just what you need. Which is the same for the Ospreys. Like, they should have come away with this with a try bonus point. They should have. And maybe they were just a little bit too patient in the first half. Maybe there were more chances they should have taken. I still think, given how Benetton have played this year, they'll be happy with a win. But it would have been nice for it to be a five-pointer. Well, you know what? There was one team who was always assured of a five-pointer. And that was Leinster. And they took on Edinburgh in the RDS 31-7. to like, in spite of Ushin's best efforts jinxing everyone else this weekend, yeah. Leinster are always going to win. Yeah, and you know what? They are, by head and shoulders, the best team in this league. And we say it every week and blah, blah, blah. But, but they are. Yeah, like, to me, what was really incredible to watch is this was just a real professional performance. Like, 20 to 30 minutes, it's almost like shadow boxing to them. Yeah. You know, like, like, all right, what do you have? Okay, now we're going to beat you. Yeah, they know exactly what they have to do. And the thing is, they're not necessarily flawless at the moment, but they don't actually have to be. Like, they are beating teams by outsmarting them and then outplaying them by 10%. So they don't need to go on and like blow people off the park. But they're learning on the pitch. Their ability to adapt to what's going on is incredible. And in stark contrast, because Edinburgh looked like they didn't have a plan, it was just one out. At one stage, they racked up 35 phases of. One out runner, smash. One out runner, smash. Without any risk of them ever breaking through that blue wall. And that's bread and butter stuff to Leinster. Like, that pack 
will go like, thank you, we'll, we'll defend all day. Yeah, and when they are attacking, they've got such creativity. Like, actually, new rule. If Leinster are playing Johnny Sexton, then they're only allowed 13 players on the pitch. <laughs> like, it's just not fair. He just, he finds space where there isn't any space. And the problem is, that's such a rare quality that that's what sets him apart. Yeah, it is. And, well, that and their monster-carrying roster. Like, Healy is just a tank. But then... Did you, you see his, did, you, did you see his ballet dancing? No. He gets the ball between the 22 and the try line. He hits one tackle, 360s, gets another tackle, 180s, and nearly makes it past the five metre line. <laughs> like, it was just unstoppable. It was a great carry to see. But you know what? As each of those internationals are coming back into that team, Leinster is just gelling so well. And you think about they're still not quite at a full strength selection. No. But imagine when they are. But it's going to probably be two weeks because they're unlikely to run out their top selection against Connacht. No. But. Oh, poor monster! Monster are gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> but like their their depth is unreal. Like for example, Van der Flyer goes off, Levy comes on, Ryan goes off, and McCarney plays his best game in blue in the ages. Yeah, and again, you take off Luke McGrath and Jonathan Sexton, and on comes Jameson Gibson Park and Ross Byrne. Like that, Leinster B would be probably top of this league at the moment, which is horrifying. I guess from Edinburgh, what little impact they made wasn't due to any kind of commitment issues. Like, Duhan van der Merwe was throwing players off him. They just kept swarming. And Brad- Ma- Magnus Bradbury, who I like, had a good game. Yeah, well, he just fights, 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 fights. And the thing is, with a Cockrell team... The you're pe- going to get that scrappiness. You're, you're going to get that scrappiness anyway. Yeah. I just don't think he has much when plan A doesn't go to plan. Well, no, and I think, let, let alone that, I think plan A was wrong here. I actually think that for all of his whinging about referees, this was a mess up on Cockerell's part. Like, Edinburgh players have the skill set to play better rugby than this, and they didn't. Like, the game plan for how to beat Leinster isn't run the ball at their incredibly solid defence. You have to move them around. Edinburgh can do that, they just didn't. You know, and that result shows on the table. In Conference B, Leinster are top of the table, already as we as everyone expects just ahead of Ulster who were actually unbeaten so far this year then you have Scarlet's Benetton and Dragons all within a point of each other the Dragons Ugh. <laughs> conference A then similar to last they're not, year they're not come on you cannot ignore Kings not being bottom of the, the conference <laughs> <laughs> I thought for Edinburgh's dignity it didn't warrant pointing out that last year's quarter finalists are currently glued to the bottom of conference B in conference A that's similar enough to, to last year with a few notable changes uh, Glasgow are on 15 points at the top of the league Ospreys have rallied as have Connacht Munster uh, adequate in fourth place but again not a million miles away they're joined nicely on points with Zebra. thanks for that um, and then uh, Cardiff just underneath them not having pulled back enough yet and Cheetah's bottom of that conference again quarter finalists last year there must be um, something in the waters about that position this is it well you know what before games in you don't win anything in September wasn't that what you were so, so sick of saying yeah. to me so let's see where it goes um, it's into a couple of interesting weeks of derby games for some of the teams now and I'm looking forward to seeing it exactly so before we move on to next week's fixtures we will talk the second row, top performer and clowned around. Yeah, and our top performer this week has to go to the Southern Kings, all of them. Yeah, like I, I was, I would kind of go like, you know, if you want to pick one, Banda, but no, the full 15, no, sorry, 23. Every single one of those boys just stood up and gave it absolutely everything. And to knock over the team who topped one of the conferences last year, who are battering teams like Munster so far this season, and who beat the Cheetahs with, I think, something like five tries in the second half last week, just every single one of them should be immensely proud of what is probably the best result they've had in the Pro 14 
And judging on the backlash, I'm expecting the last good result they have this year in the Pro 14. <laughs> so enjoy it while it lasts, boys. That was impressive. Top performer is the Southern Kings. So, Porik, you have had to pick our clown of the round. I have, and I went through all the games, but one thing stuck out across the full weekend. Your predictions from last week. So have a listen to this. Yes, and Cardiff will try and avoid losing four games in a row in what will be a pretty unimpressive start to the season. Uh, I don't see them winning this. Glasgow by however much they want. Scarlet's come to Galway. You're going to lose that, though. You know that, right? Um, so Zebra are probably going to win it, and then Bernard Jackman's going to get fired. There's no way Dragons win that game. Yeah, there wasn't... Yeah. <laughs> like for, for, for all of... The hope and expectation, I think this is a triumph of the unusual and unhelpful. It's you're, it's a good thing you're not a gambler. If, well, uh, it's a good thing <laughs> I don't have like some sort of second row pot where I'm making money for charity because yeah. I'd owe them money by the end of this weekend. Um, well, look, hopefully, I, I don't think I'm going to be allowed to call any of these games because if I do, I'm going to be killed. But I'm at least looking forward to next week fixtures where some of the teams that I want to win will win. <laughs> so we'll have a look at next week's matches and Cardiff v Cheetahs on Friday night. And I'm really expecting this to be a good game. Cardiff should have a spring in their step. The Cheetahs will be coming off a weird result for them. This could be a really competitive fixture. It should be a good game. Cheetahs like to throw the ball around. And if Cardiff play kind of how they did against Munster, it should be interesting to watch. And then we're off to Scotland for Edinburgh against Benetton, who I'm sure will be hurting after that Ospreys result. Yeah, they'll want a really big performance after that. You know, I think they have the beating of this Edinburgh team. They have more strings to their bow. And if Edinburgh play as unimaginatively as they did against Leinster, it's going to be a tough night for them. Yeah, I think key to that is who they pick at 10. I mean, van der Valt is a very direct player and he's a very good defender. But for me, Edinburgh have looked their best this year with Simon Hickey at fly half. So I'd like to see him back in the starting lineup because I think he just plays far better rugby and Edinburgh play better rugby with him there. And equally, be surprised if we didn't see Tommaso Allen back at 10 for Benetton. And that could be a real, real ding-dong. That's going to be a game to watch out for, really. Then Saturday early fixture is Zebre hosting the Ospreys. That's going to be a really interesting game. Like That's an in-conference match. Zebra, they do perform well at home. What type of Ospreys will travel? So you'd hope that it's a slightly better team than they sent to Munster. And if they do, yeah, I think that'll be a competitive fixture. I like how you're not calling any winners. Nope. (laughs) I might call this one. (laughs) So the next match on Saturday is Connacht v Leinster the the opening interpro of the series yeah I might call this one Um, this is going to be a 60 point win for Leinster <laughs> you happy with that is that okay uh, yeah that's fine I, I'll take that no I'll issue take with that, that one no, no no that's good that's good as long as your run of luck continues yeah that's fine. absolutely uh, this this is Connacht always get up Connacht like beating Leinster in Galway they really do we like we like beating them for the Pro 12 final as well okay <laughs> yeah, you you're know. not too fussy on venue I like <laughs> no, it no no we like beating them well, like it's an interpro to be perfectly honest I don't see Leinster sending out a, a full strength team okay I think they're going to keep the likes Johnny Sexton wrapped in wool let's see let's see when the team sheets come out for this before <laughs> you get too excited no it's going to be a really really good game it should be and particularly the way Connacht are playing at the moment if they pick the same um, 10, 12, 13 in fact that whole back line I'd be looking forward to it I'd like to see Nee start ahead of Kelleher yeah I was going to say I think yeah. Adi Alokan offers a little bit more than Kelleher so far yeah then off to West Wales the Scarlets play host to the Southern Kings 
Pork, what do you reckon? Cricket score. <laughs> you said it. You said that. I don't think Kings travel well, to be honest, and that's the only reason I'm saying it. They don't, but they're coming off a pretty impressive victory. And do you think this is really going to be a full-strength Scarlets team? I know what you're saying, but Scarlets at home, they'll need to win after this week's loss. Then we have Glasgow against the Dragons up in Scotland. There'll be a backlash from Glasgow after the loss to Kings. Well, there will, but I don't expect to see a lot of the same personnel. I mean, this for me is going to be a massive forward battle. There's going to be collisions like meteor strikes going on here. Yeah, but like I think Glasgow are going to keep the ball away from Dragons and they can't rook particularly well. So, you know, they're going to have lots of clean ball. Maybe. I mean, it depends how disruptive the likes of Ross Moriarty is. It depends whether the likes of Rodri Williams and whoever they pick at 10 are able to run the game when they do get on the ball. If they manage to play a little bit of territory, who knows what will happen, but... It is hard to see past the Conference A leaders for this one. And at the same time, Munster will be hosting Ulster and Thomond. Yeah, and both teams who have an important statement to make. Munster have had a really poor start this year. Ulster, by contrast, are coming into this game unbeaten off the back of a relatively successful tour to South Africa. So this is just going to be warfare. It's going to be a really good game and Ulster are going to have their frontline players back. Maybe not Rory Best. You kind of hope Will Addison has managed to escape from a toilet cubicle at some point this week. Um, apparently he has been most ill and he makes a huge difference to that backline when he is there. Yeah, the level of the creativity he brings will be needed against Munster. Um, from a Munster perspective, we need to see a pack with Reese Marshall back into that team. We're simply not good enough at line-out time with Mike Sherry playing. He's not up to it this year. I don't know what's going on. I think it will be great to see Albie Matheson in because he's going to be important when we get to our Champions Cup games. I'm not sure what's going on with the work permit stuff there. It seems to be dragging on forever. And I think Joey Carberry will be given another run out of 10. Like He has to start running those games, though, as well as just running the ball back. He looks brilliant with ball in hand. It's time to start seeing him with games in hand. That's important for Ireland and, you know, a fair enough point. So what's your game to watch across the series? I'll probably be tuning into the sports ground. Uh, I, I like those Connacht-Leinster games. I think the Galway crowd tend to get on their opponent's back and it gets ni- nice and raucous. I'm probably going to miss a lot of these games. I have a, a wedding this weekend um, that I'm attending, but we'll be watching them back. Thanks to the fabulous coverage of Airsport with great excitement. Given that you've picked the Connacht match, I'm going to say the edinburgh Benetton game will be one to watch out for. Mm. It's an early statement of intent for that quarterfinal berth in their conference. Well, it'll just be interesting to see how they respond to mixed fortunes over the first couple of weeks. It should be a, a we hope for some good weather because both of those teams can throw the ball around. But equally, if it's lashing it down with rain and people are running into each other, that'll be a good watch too. Exactly. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with you next week to discuss round five. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Acast, Stitcher and all podcast apps. Don't forget to rate us, like and subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to have your say on the Second Row podcast, maybe give us a few clown of the rounds or a few top performers, then get in touch with us on facebook.com slash the second row or let us know on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That's 2ND, not the word second. So until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. Take care. Mm-hmm.